Well, here we go again. Have you probably noticed there wasn't an episode of the podcast last week? That was entirely my bad. I thought I'd uploaded it, but only noticed I didn't when I went to upload this week's episode. So I apologize. Uh, We're working hard to be consistent, but my executive functioning is not great even on good days. So I apologize. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode, which was called last week. And we're really going to try to be more consistent here on out. Thank you for your support. Thank you for continuing to listen. Happy holidays. Hope you enjoy this episode. And we are live, back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good. I have a lot of extra energy today. I don't know why. I had half a cup of coffee, and I've been wired sick. Oh, you got you went to the beauty parlor, you got your hair done, you feel all gammed up. Hair, that makes you feel wired. good. I was wired before. I think I was excited about getting my hair done. The listeners can't see my hair. I'll have, I'll have to like take a screenshot um, and post it today on social media. Yeah, one day we'll do like a one day we'll like put this on YouTube and we'll do like a video broadcast. As of now, that's not possible because I'm currently recording from a Faraday cage because I'm wanted by the FBI. I'm actually in a cave in Nicaragua right now. <laughs> so now I have to say. This is why we received that email today where the mom said she loves your sarcastic sense of humor because I do as well. (laughs) I do as well. And, you know, I'm sure that sometimes some folks don't understand sarcastic humor and that's okay. You know, I think our listeners can either fast forward through it or just let it slide if it's something that um, doesn't work for them. But uh, we are just being ourselves and speaking our truth so that we can shift this narrative around everything autism and today um i don't even know how to introduce the topic uh that i popped in my head the do's and don'ts um of autism. we're probably going to name this the do's and don'ts of autism or something like something like attention grabbing and search engine happy yeah like that but basically yeah the the the, the things that I hate to say the things because with autism, thing, uh, things can be so fluid. Yes. And yes. I hate to say that word, but so objective, so non-objective, mm-hmm. subjective. And it really is case-by-case basis. But we want to lay out some general things that parents and therapists should do with autistic kids and shouldn't do. Yes. And as you probably imagine, there's going to be a lot of shouldn't do's because there's a lot of not great practices that parents who don't know any better and therapists who either don't know any better or quite frankly simply don't care to know any better will do with autistic kids and i we just want to lay some of those out there because there are a lot of people who want to do better and just don't know and they might be like oh i do that i didn't know that was a problem so that's that's all where we're going but there's going to be some dues too we're not just like chastising people and things like that but um yeah stacy broached this topic about an hour before we started recording, we had a whole other topic. So this is like everything we do. It's sort of by the seat of our pants, the spur of the moment. So that's honestly at our best. I don't know what the hell we would do if we actually planned something ahead of time. Yeah. It would it'd be, be awful. It, it, it'd be, if we took, if we like write off scripts and took notes, it'd be, it'd be horrendous. Nope. That's not us. But uh, Stacy, want to get us started? What are I some, do. what are some, uh, what were some of your thoughts? What were some I, of your I thoughts? Actually, I'm so sorry, Torin. I just interrupted you. Um, I would like to start with sharing for context for the listeners as to um, 
sort of why the topic popped in my head at the last minute. Um, and two stories I would like to share. And like Torin said, this is not about bashing people. This is about you don't know until you know different. There's a Maya Angelou quote I can never remember. Um, something about when we know better, we do better. But I think it's more beautifully written than <laughs> I just said. Uh, however, um, a perfect example is um, I was working with a father, um, had a sensory session, and um, the dad was saying, you know, oh, my son, you know, he spins and, and he jumps and, and he was saying all of these things that his son did. And so the dad said, you know, so what do I do? And I said, you just allow him to spin. And the dad said, what? And then I explained to him, of course, why. And three weeks later, the dad said, I let my son spin. He now comes up to me and asks for things that he wants. Like he didn't do that before. So it's a matter of the dad was doing what he thought um, without the knowledge and the understanding should be done, right? But it was a don't. It was a big don't because the child was clearly seeking sensory um, regulation. Um, and then when the parent did the right do, um, benefits came from that. Uh, and uh, I think the other story that sort of stemmed, and I shared this before we started, was I was in a session with a mom who was telling me that the occupational therapist told her, well, not told her, during the sessions when her son flaps, she holds his hand so that he can't flap. Okay, that is a big don't, don't, don't in highlighted neon sign. Don't, don't, don't. First of all, body autonomy. Secondly, flapping is um, purposeful for an autistic individual. And thirdly, don't, don't hold people's hands. Like don't, just like don't. Like I don't even know how much to say don't. <laughs> Do allow them to flap, but don't hold their hands when they are doing that. Um, because it's just wrong. I mean, I don't even want to give an explanation. It's just wrong for so many reasons. So that was what kind of sparked my, oh, I kind of want to talk about some different things because there are all these posts that come out. There are things that um, I'm told by parents that someone's telling them to do. So Torin, what is something that uh, from your, if you could think, and from your personal experience as an adult, not thinking even as a child, as an autistic adult for yourself, what's something that if you could have like a, neon light that you could push a button and it goes across your forehead or your shirt to tell people that don't know you what not to do don't do this with me what would that be see that's that's kind of a hard question to answer as an adult because i i could probably answer better with things i wish i that people didn't do is when i was a child mm -hmm. and the reason it's hard as an adult is I'm a very outspoken person. So if I don't want someone to do something, I'm going to let them know loudly and probably bluntly and be perceived as kind of an asshole. So it's even better than the on sign. I just have a mouth that like just doesn't shut up. I've been told I have like diarrhea of the mouth. So as I will say as a kid, and I guess that some of the things that annoyed me as a kid still annoyed me as an adult. I just couldn't. Um people like loud noises, people blasting the TV as loud as it possibly goes. Um, would, just loud noises would bother me. Um, I've talked about heat I don't deal well with. Uh, crowds and, and pushing into like personal space. 
mm-hmm. would really upset me. So, so like I couldn't go when I was a kid. They couldn't. My parents couldn't take me to parades and like amusement parks and stuff that you take a lot of quote unquote normal children to because I would just freak out. So things like that, those were big don'ts for me. Um, not a big fan of like flashing lights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That those really tend to get under my skin. So, oh, and one that would really annoy me, and this this might be a personal one, but this one pissed me off more than anything as a kid. When someone would come up to me, mm-hmm. like a therapist, usually therapist or teachers who didn't know me or doctors. Mm-hmm. And they would see I was autistic and they would hit me with the hello Torin. How are you today? I never understood this. By the way, if someone doesn't understand you, speaking slower doesn't help. No. But are you happy today? So like it reached the point where as a kid, I would just start to play along too. Where I'd be like, I'm very happy today. And then, like, my dad would play along with it, too. Oh, no. He'd be like, good job, Torrin. He said words. Like, I know it's awful. But, like, at a certain point, when you've had that done to you over and over, it just starts to get annoying. And you have to be sarcastic about it. So that that was a big don't for me. Don't treat me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I have trouble verbalizing, which sometimes times I did, I understand what you're saying. Yes. Like, like, just because someone can't talk, I know it's a bit of a tangent, just because someone can't talk or struggles with words at times or all the time doesn't mean they're an idiot. Yes. So th- that was, that that would piss me off. So that was a big don't for me. People just treat me like I was an idiot. Got it. So what I hear is don't um, assume you don't understand. Don't talk to you as if you are intellectually delayed. Uh, so I will say, if oh, I'm so politically correct, I'm going to get roast on social media for saying, "Don't talk to me like an idiot." But if you if you don't, um, so you know, my thinking is, I'm always thinking about strategies, right? So when I'm working with children, <laughs> um, if I don't want them to do something, I tell them what I want them to do instead. So because I'm a problem solver um, and I don't know if I'm necessarily a strategist, but uh, thinking in terms of don't assume that an autistic individual child specifically does not understand you. And the do would be assume competency, right? Assume competency. You may have to make some adjustments to the way you communicate with them um, or allow them to process longer, but always assume competency. The other don't I heard you say is don't put me in an environment that is sensory overwhelming, right? Don't. And that is something that I think is very important for um, teachers, parents, uh, you know, therapists, maybe you don't go into large, uh, you know, uh, crowds or anything like that. But definitely, you don't want to expose children to things that are um, uh, overwhelming to their sensory system to get them to just get used to it, right? What you do want to do is support them in those environments if you have to go. So if you have to go to the grocery store and that's overwhelming for your child, have earphones, let them watch their iPad so they have that distraction to hyper-focus on if you need to bring your child to the store or do lots of sensory input before you go into something that has a lot of people um, if you can't avoid it. I know sometimes we can't always leave our children with someone or leave them home. So 
the don't is don't put children in situations that are very overwhelming and expect them not to melt down, but do provide them with the support that they need so that they may be able to, um, uh, you know, be in that environment for whatever amount of time. And I think we talk about that a lot with the holiday episode on what you can do when you want to go into a group um, with, with lots of, of people because you want to see the family. Um, there's a, a book that I recommend to families, and you and I have talked about it, The Sincerely, Your Autistic Child. And um, I think one episode, I was going to pick it up and read a, a part of it that goes along with what I said, but that might be an episode where we can take parts of it that I like to discuss. However, so those are two don'ts that you have. I would like to talk about a don't in relation to communication from the uh, parent therapist perspective in terms of don't always initiate communication by asking a question. Children are bombarded with questions and demands all day at school. They go to therapy, questions, questions, questions. So don't start um, a communication engagement with a question all the time. And what that looks like is, and I say this because, you know, when I'm working with parents, they just, they're not aware that they're doing it, right? And most of the time they're checking for, um, you know, knowledge, you know, does my child really know? So don't keep asking your child what their name is, right? They know their name. Um, they may not always answer uh, for several reasons, but they know their name. So don't keep asking them because the reality is, from my perspective, you know, autistic children are intelligent unless you have another added um, diagnosis, but they know that you know their name. So when you, who already knows the answer to the question, keeps asking them a question, their concrete thinking is like, I'm not gonna waste my spoons on answering a question they already know the answer to. My mom knows my name, right? So don't ask repetitive questions that your children obviously already demonstrate they know. Um, do try to reword it in ways that you can engage and bring them um, into a conversation of maybe two or three exchanges, right? That's what you want to do instead. One of, it's funny you say that because it, it had me thinking about something that seems unrelated. But from the parent's perspective, and once again, from like some therapists and teachers, it can be hard to, especially with someone you're struggling to communicate with, to get that going without certain basic questions. So what that has me thinking of is about five or six years ago, um, I was at a friend's house. I was going to say I had a friend. I'm still friends with him. And at the time, he was really into these how we how shall we say pickup artists? And he had all these videos and stuff from these pickup artists, especially this one particular group whose name I don't remember. I wouldn't say it on the podcast anyway. I believe like half of these guys are now facing allegations of rape. Go figure, pickup artists are creepy. Anyway, one of the videos. So he kept wanting me to watch it. And I think it's, I thought the stuff was stupid. So eventually I go to his place. I take about four too many bong rips. So we start watching it because I'm, I'm I'm out of it. And one of the videos is about like how to pick up a chick without asking a question. And the, and he prefaced this with the problem is a lot of dudes who struggle talking to women, they just use basically the same basic stupid questions over and over and sort of kills conversation for it starts. And when you said that, it had me thinking of that. That's the issue there is communication. In that case, it's you have usually have a dude who just struggles with 
with, with talking to chicks. That's form communication. In this case, the reason the parent or the teacher or the therapist is asking these basic questions is oftentimes they're struggling to communicate with the child because because the child communicates in a different way than they do. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's, it's a similar situation, as weird as that sounds, it actually is. Yeah, so is. what are ways that the parent, therapist, teacher, caregiver, et cetera, can engage with their child without having to ask these stupid, repetitive questions? I will give you a couple of examples. <laughs> so one of the ways that you can sort of engage with that is, um, so a perfect example, um, I'll just use the, um, uh, the well, I won't use the name one because that's a whole nother scenario. So in terms of if parents are trying to uh, get a two back and forth exchange, right? Two or three back and forth exchange. One of the do's is simply just sit with your child while they're engaging in something they enjoy. Just sit next to them. If they're stacking blocks, if they're lining up cars, whatever it is they're doing, just sit with them. And then you can do something simple like, oh, I like the blue car. If a child's into numbers, start counting the cars. Then your child's either going to do one or two things. They're going to say no, because I don't want you to be involved. They're going to respond and say yellow car. Or they may say, I like cars. Who knows what they would say, right? Then you can say something else back, right? It's almost like you are commenting. And that subtle commenting on something they're interested in usually gives them an opportunity to say whatever they want to say based on that interest, however brief it may be or expanded. And then you can feed off of that, right? Two, three back and forth and you're done. What typically happens, <laughs> what you don't want to do <laughs> is you don't want to do, oh, cars and you start it. And then your child may say, um, yellow car. Then what happens? Most of the time, parents will say, how many yellow cars? Oh, we're back to the questions, checking <laughs> for, you know, do they know their colors? Do they know their numbers? I tell parents to trust in the competency of your child. You know, when, I, when, when parents come and say, oh, you know, I need to work on sorting. And then I look at the shelf behind them and I say, is that your child's shelf of lined up blocks? And they say, yes. And I'm like, they're color coded. Yeah, they already know how to sort. Why do we need to work on sorting? Your child's already sorting. He has all the yellow blocks in one spit, all the red blocks. They know how to match colors. That is looking at the application. You know, we get stuck on, so this is another don't. Don't get stuck on the checklist of doing it when you ask them to do it, but do look at what they actually do in their environment because you're missing a lot. A lot, a lot. And to, to, to add on to that and bring back to pickup artists, one of the issues, one of the many issues pickup artists and have with teaching people is they don't teach you what to do if you get rejected because their whole selling point is their method is so good you will never get rejected. In fact, you can think about it, you've defeated yourself and you think positive. You said the child, if you ask the right questions, will either want to engage or not. What do you do if they don't want to engage? Because that can hurt for a lot of parents. What, what do you do in those situations? That's a great question. So my answer to that question is, 
you respect the fact that your child communicated, I'm not interested in you playing with me right now, because sometimes they're just not interested in you playing with them at that time. However, I also go back to, that is a great way of advocating. You know, we're always talking about teaching self-advocacy, um, teaching, you know, self-regulation. Your child may be doing that activity to self-regulate. They may be hyper-focusing on stacking because they need that in order to regulate their system. So they're advocating for, now's not the time for you to share this, in, this activity with me, right? And there's other opportunities, right? I mean, I help my parents, my clients through the other opportunities, but you have to, a big do is you cannot take things personal. Or should I say don't? Don't take things personally. Now, I have clients that I'm able to coach through this, right? Our listeners may not have me as their parent coach. They may have someone else, or maybe they don't have a parent coach or they have therapist. But you can't take it personally. You really can't. And parents who understand their child's autistic identity and the communication differences and the sensory needs typically don't take it personally because they understand it. So for those listeners who are learning, it's a process, um, but it's not personal. And I do understand that there are some times when you feel like you're, oh, I have a lot of parents that have genius children. And those genius children are creating phenomenal things in their, their playroom. And they are not in, interested in social engaging at all because their brain is geniusly creating, right? Now they're going to be adults that geniusly create in a cubicle. And <laughs> there's a, a phrase that... Um, I don't know if any of the listeners have ever heard this phrase, but uh, uh, engineers, uh, there's a certain group of people that call engineers wall ears because they say that when they go into the, the, uh, the floor on the office building where all the engineers are, if they're walking down the hall, it's like they all turn and face the wall because they don't want to socially engage. <laughs> so how, how do you keep that genius from turning into Elon Musk? Ah, I can't even begin to start there. <laughs> Because there's a fine line between being a genius yeah. and struggling yeah. social skills and turning into a crazy right-wing narcissist. I know, I know. But that's neither here nor there. Yes, I will say that the majority of the parents that I work with who have these kiddos that are just amazingly brilliant and creative at a young age, usually the parents are also engineers. I have, you know, or they're neurologists or so the parents, so they're going to go into the same field their, their parents went into. Um, and to be honest, a lot of those children have parents that are undiagnosed autistic individuals as well, right? And, and that is what it is. So don't take, take things personally. Um, I, I do understand it's tough when I have some, some uh, moms, and, and not that I don't know any dad. I mean, not that there aren't any dads in this situation. I just don't know of any dads myself personally. But I have several moms who, you know, we refer to... Uh, outspectrum like they are literally the only so-called neurotypical person in the household and they have three autistic children and they're married to an autistic man and nobody wants to talk to them because they're all geniusly creating right so they're like sitting in this non-social engagement uh household um uh, trying to figure out you know where they can get some um some engagement in but um that's of course a unique situation and that's not everyone's situation but you know, you it, it's it's a lot of situations though, because yeah. like yeah. I guess what is it with a lot of autistic men and just because you tend not and there's a tangent, you tend not to see this as much mm -hmm. with autistic uh females, this sort of just aversion to social to socializing at all times. Just leave me alone and let me be a genius. 
that tends to yeah. like is, is it just testosterone like i i don't know but that's that's a topic for a whole nother day yes, that, is, that is an interesting topic too um in regards to the communication component another don't is don't try to force your child to talk about non-preferred topics, right? Or don't try to discourage them from talking about their interest, right? I, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I never understood non-preferred topics. Who the hell wants to talk about stuff they don't care about? That's exactly what I said. That's exactly what I said. I don't even understand. I'll tell you where it comes from, though. So we know what we don't want to do, but what we do want to do is allow them to talk about whatever they're interested in talking about. And everyone has a right to choose who they talk to. Now, children, of course, have to follow some guidelines until they're adults, but you know, uh, no one should be forced to have a conversation with someone that they're not comfortable with talking to. But the reason that thing about, I want to expand, they're conversation topics. And I'm like, okay, first of all, um, no one talks about anything that they're not interested in, right? Like nobody talks about stuff they're not interested in because if you're not interested in it, you probably don't have a lot of knowledge. The, the only people who talk about things they're not interested in are dudes who are trying to get with chicks. Yes. That is the only scenario I could think of. I mean, I've, I've done that more times than I can count. I, I don't, I've talked about stuff I didn't give a shit about um, when I was trying to hook up with somebody, that's about it. Like that's, so that's the only thing you're teaching them is just like how to spit game. That, that, that's about the only useful application for that. Yes. So one of the things is, um, uh, uh, professionals, I will just loosely use that term. Professionals have told parents. <laughs> I will loosely, I will loosely use that term. Jesus, Stacy. So, <laughs> Because there's a lot of people that are acting anyway. Um, they tell parents if they don't expand their conversation topic, they're not going to be able to make friends. My pushback on that is I'm not friends with people that have interests different than me. I mean, exactly. my friends it's have the same interests. And especially if you're a child. Now, as an adult, you have a little bit more of a wider repertoire. But children who like sports usually talk to kids who like sports. Children who like robots talk to kids who like robots. Children who are into um, Minecraft talk to other kids who play Minecraft. So it's not about um, making someone talk about a different topic. And yes, I understand. They will talk about it over and over and over and over again. But you know what? Go with it, right? If you want to communicate and have a relationship with someone, you have to go and meet them halfway and talk about things that they're interested in, even if you're not. And I always, I mean, everybody knows I talk about Noah all the time. Noah talks about the weather, climate change every day, all day. He will talk about climate change. I'm not. At least he believes it's real. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. That's an improvement. Um, so I go with that. But I use that to, to expand to things that maybe I can share something I did, right? So there's a way to do it where you can both get something out of the conversation. And remember, they're children. Like children don't necessarily make long-lasting friends in elementary school. Uh, imagine telling Greta Thunberg, I think I'm saying her name right, the, the young climate yeah. activist. Yeah. Basically, all like people have made jokes to imagine her in her personal life. That's probably all she talks about. Yeah, it yeah. probably is because she is on the spectrum. So imagine telling her, like, talk about, like, dolls and, like, I don't know, whatever teenage girls talk about. I have no clue. Talk about, like, talk about, like, that stuff as opposed to just 
climate change stuff because no one likes that. She wouldn't be who she was. She wouldn't be spreading awareness. So I hate that. But here's what's going to happen to your kid if you successfully teach them to talk about stuff. Different stuff have a wide repertoire so they can quote unquote make friends. They're going to make a bunch of friends who have very, they have very shallow connections with who will either treat them poorly or when shit goes down, abandon them. Speaking from experience on this one, I've seen this happen to other autistic people as well. You want them, yes, yes, sometimes it will alienate some people if all they're talking about is, let's say, climate or deep fat fryers or trains like I did when I was a kid or firearms like I did when I was a kid. Growing up in New York City talking about firearms, trust me, that's going to that, that's that's get some eyeballs on you. But at the end of the day, you want that you want like to attract like. You want them to attract people who are interested in the same things. And also, as they get older, their repertoire is going to expand. Right now, the repertoire is limited because they're seven and their brains aren't fully developed and they haven't been alive very long. They haven't experienced a lot of stuff. So that's another thing to take into account. But yeah, focus on what they like and nurturing that because they did a study. I forget where it is. I wish I could find it again where they found that it's contrary to popular belief that if you put autistic people in a room with other autistic people, they're automatically socialized. They found that putting autistic people together doesn't necessarily mean they'll socialize. Just like putting them in neurotypicals doesn't necessarily mean they won't socialize. Putting autistic people in with peers with similar interests, neurotypical or not, saw the biggest likeliness of socialization. In other words, if they took an autistic person who was into robotics and put them in a robotics club, mm-hmm. or they took someone like me, I was in the sports. Like in high school, I really got into sports. I made a lot of friends who weren't autistic because I was into sports. That's something I could talk about. I could be social. You take someone like me who was in the sports, put them on sports teams, put them in areas where they talk a lot about sports, and they'll make friends. I made friends the first time in my life because I was into sports, for yeah. example. So, and a lot of them were not autistic. You need to just focus on what they're into. As long as they have basic, as long as they communicate their needs, their basic needs, and they're not just like spewing random, like racist, inappropriate stuff that will get them in trouble. Who cares? They talk about deep fat fryers a lot. Yep. They might find someone else talks about deep fat fryers. Yep. Who knows? So I, I really think people worry way too much about that. Yes, I agree. And, you know, this is one of those situations where um, I'm not, I'm, yes, there is a component that is definitely related to being an autistic individual that communicates differently. However, I think it's also human beings by nature you gravitate to what you know and what you're interested in like i mean who the hell likes to do non-preferred activities i mean i don't even understand what that means like oh i want them to do non-preferred activities i don't want to do non-preferred activities i mean i really don't let me translate let me translate that for y'all so non-preferred activity that's like saying hey do you want to go do taxes not because you have to do taxes but just for the hell of it like just do taxes in the middle of like well, I'm American. So like do your taxes in the middle of like September for some reason. Yeah. Like, do you want to do that? No, you wait till the last minute like everybody else. Do you, hey, yeah. you want to go to the DMV? I, I lost my wallet recently. I, I'm still delaying going to the DMV getting a new ID because it's a non-preferred activity. Who the hell wants to wait, spend four hours at least waiting to get an ID at the DMV? No one wants to do that. Yes, there's a certain benefit to learning how to do things you have to do, you don't want to do. Yes. That will come as they get older. Yes. But just for the hell of it so they yes. can be in, like 
No. Just, just no. Just, just think about it. Do, do you want to go to DMV today for no reason? Just spend four hours in line, and then at the end of it, just go back to the front. Just go just go from the front to the back of the line, do it again for another four hours. So you can you can do something different than what you normally like to do. No, because it's a waste of time, and it's stupid, and it's annoying, and no one wants to be there. So screw all that. I I, I, I just personally don't understand that. No, I don't. And I think that it's a matter of, you know, it, you know, it, by nature, you know, parents, because of the pressure of the schools and the therapists, they get caught up in the comparison. And I tell parents, every child doesn't like to paint in color. It doesn't even have to do with autism. Oh, I hated that Everybody as a kid. Like I hated it. Uh, you know, I will, I will share, you know, uh, my personal, uh, like non-preferred I do not like football. I repeat, I do not like football. So when I lived in Texas, where all they do is watch football football, and everything you do socially is football, come to our house. We're watching football. We're going to go to the bar. We're going to watch football. You know what Stacy did? I stayed home because I don't like football. Now I found other things to do, but I did not hang out with people who wanted to watch football. I'm not interested. I know everybody loves football. I don't. I'm so glad football season's almost over. Exactly. And, 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 and to anyone who might be listening in Texas who might have been offended, I just, <laughs> I, I just want to say... I can't be offended. <laughs> yes, I just want to say Dallas Cowboys actually suck. I don't care what their record is. They're in a division of mid. The whole division is just teams that are not bad but not good either. The Giants are not good. The Commanders are not good. The Eagles, they might be okay. But besides for that, you're in a mid-division. Your team isn't good. You're going to wash out in the playoffs like you do every single year. And this is coming from a Jet fan, so you should feel bad about yourselves. Back to the topic. <laughs> I, you know, I was I was actually, uh, you know, over my morning coffee, I sort of like scrolled through Facebook and I thought, oh, goodness, I'm so excited that football season's almost over. But then I was like, oh, no, it's that darn Elf on a Shelf thing that started. Now I got to see what, that. What is Elf on the Shelf? I've heard of it. But like it's something when it's like a little elf on the shelf, right? It's you know, and then people get mad when it's not a white elf, right? Because no, I've I've heard people get really offended when you use a black elf. There, I, I don't know what the whole, you know what? I, I, I get it, and I I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to keep scrolling through because the elf on the shelf pictures are gonna be all over the place. Um, so speaking of elf on a shelf. <laughs> That reminds me of a... I love how we went from the Cowboys suck to (laughs) Elf on the Shelf to autism topic. That's it. Which is what I like to talk about, right? Um, That's my preferred topic, my special interest. Um, It's my obsession, whatever you want to call it. It's what I do. It's what I love to talk about. Uh, So thinking in terms of Elf on a Shelf and don't, I'll just pop in um, a reminder on don't put your child in um, holiday situations that are overwhelming, do prepare them with a sensory backpack and do consider their threshold of how much they can tolerate and stay only for that amount of time um, because that is important. Uh, I, I would like to, to bring up the topic of uh, don't not tell your child they're autistic. Do tell your child they're autistic. I'm not saying when you have to do it. I'm saying people have a right to know if they have a diagnosis on a piece of paper. That's all I'm saying. People have a right to know if there's a diagnosis on a piece of paper. Because if you don't and they find out, 
it's just not it's ugly it gets really y'all know y'all know how i feel about that but just to reiterate i'm this is the one, one of the major topics why i disagree with stacy i yes. think only only die only tell them if it clearly is like affecting their lives in a negative way if they're doing okay i'm not a fan of having that label hung over you because I listen to a lot of adult autistics who got diagnosed later in life. I was diagnosed when I was eight years old. But there's a lot of adult autistics who get diagnosed when they're like 20. And they're like, well, it's such relief because I had all these issues. And I felt like I was a failure. But I learned that I'm not a failure. I'm just autistic. And I think to myself, I know I'm autistic since I was eight because they told me. And I still felt like that. Like, I still felt different and like a failure. And like I wasn't good enough. The, the autism diagnosis just made me feel worse. I'm like. Oh, is, is it because I'm autistic? Like, I wish I wasn't. I could just say, okay, maybe I'm just weird. Maybe I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll grow out of it. There's something I could do. It's like, when you know you're autistic, it's like, no, there's like this hard block that like, there's a ceiling. There's a ceiling. And like, if you're, you're old, like, for example, I struggle socially in certain situations. And I know no matter how hard I work at it, I'm never going to be good in social situations because autism. I know I struggle with being overwhelmed too easily. I know no matter how hard I work at it, I'm always going to struggle with that because of autism. I have sensory issues like the heat and stuff like that. I know it's always going to be a problem no how much meditation should I do because of autism. I'd rather not know and just be able to lie to myself and say, if I keep working hard, I can fix these things. Because that's a crappy feeling knowing there's just certain things you can't fix. So this is, this is you know, Torn and I were at opposite ends of this and that is because of course our experiences are different right Torin wasn't you were not in a neuro affirming environment at school or at home um there were no no one talked about it in a positive way but also i also respect that you are a black male and i totally get that being a black male in america is a totally different experience because i have well i have two black male sons but i actually have four because my pseudo adopted or my uh my soul adopted sons sean and torin um and i get it i get it it's a different it's a very different experience um in terms of navigating this world um but i think that it i guess for me i've seen so many negative things come out of people finding out after and like their parents didn't tell them this is not like a, a late adult who finds out and discovers on their own. This is like people who like they were in a special class and no one told them why. Like, 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 you know, you should know why you are in this classroom and not in the other classroom. Um, but that's not why we're here to talk about that. But um, so you want another don't or do you have another don't? I have a don't. Right. Um, I, by the way, we're almost certainly going to have to do a part two. Because we're we're winding down and I have so many don'ts. But a don't I have so the next one I have is very weird because it's both a don't and a do. Ooh. So one thing I will say is don't sit tell your child they can do it. Now hear me out. That now it sounds like common sense. Obviously, you should it sounds like against common sense. You should tell encourage your child. The problem is when your child is struggling with something. Telling them they can do it, just saying that, you can do it. I know you can do it. Even if it's something they've previously shown an ability to do, it's completely unhelpful. Yeah. Because clearly they can't do it at that moment. 
or in the way they're attempting to do it. So all saying you can do it is doing is making them feel like shit. You're essentially saying you're just not trying hard enough as opposed to let's figure out a way that works for you or maybe you can't do it right now. Another another don't is the opposite. Don't say you can't do it. A lot of autistic advocates, adults in particular, will say it's okay to say a child can't do anything. Fuck that. Yeah. I will never tell a child they can't do something. Yeah. Mainly because I've had people tell me I can't do stuff my whole life. That actually, I love it when people do it for me personally because it just motivates me more. Like now I have to, now that'll motivate me to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of, so for people who aren't sick in the head and suffering from trauma, children, if you tell them they can't do something, it just, it, it, it makes them feel worthless. Yeah. So once again, go to, maybe you can't do it right now. Maybe you can't do it in this particular way. Let's find a way you can. Mm-hmm. So focus on the child's needs. Don't just give declarative blanket statements like you can or you can't. Because both that. of those can be very harmful. Yeah, I totally love that. So don't say, oh, you can do it, you can do it. And instead support them and say, well, you can try again later. Or just say nothing, right? Um, and then I love it. Don't say you can't. A common story I'd like to give that I think some people can relate to. If anyone's ever taken one of those like aerobic classes or like conditioning classes or anything that's like one of those like boot camp classes at a gym, I know I have. And one time I was at boot camp class, we had to do this like op- we had to do a series of exercises that ended with bear crawls. And it was sort of like a race, but like the people who finished first, we encouraged people who 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 were struggling. Well, I was like dead last and I was struggling, sweating. I'm like, you're in hell. Your lungs are burning. I'm sure a lot of you know that feeling. I have the whole class going, you can do it. You can do it. And I wanted to stand up and go, shut the hell up. I, I like, I know I can do it, but I'm struggling because I'm fat and I'm tired and I'm out of breath and everything hurts. It's like that. That's not making this any easier. In fact, I feel awful because I'm clearly in last place. Yeah. That just the fact that everyone's cheering on makes me feel worse. Yeah. So think about that for a child. Think of your child struggling with something and you're like, you can do it. Yeah. It's like you kind of feel crappy if someone did that, yeah. even it's if they meant pressure. well, even if they meant well, it it doesn't go over how you think it's going over. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure on, on kids too to feel like, oh my gosh. And then some kids internalize that as, you know, they failed the parent, you know, every child's different. I just thought of a don't in relation to um, kind of connect it to that. And hopefully my brain can bring it back because I think I just lost it. But, um, ah, I got it back. Don't overcorrect your child when they're working on something. So for example, when children are practicing writing their name, tracing shapes or drawing shapes, whatever it is, a lot of times it's around pencil grip or even sometimes building something. Don't stand over them and say, oh, wait, 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 correct that. Wait, go up, go up, go up, wait, erase it, do it again. Don't demand perfection all the time. Everyone makes mistakes and children learn through their making mistakes. Let them problem solve it. Do allow them time to process. Don't overcorrect and keep correcting them while they are working on it. That, I mean, and, and I, you know, there are certain, I will say, uh, my wonderful type A parents are the parents that tend to do this because they're perfectionist, you know, over themselves. 
And so they project that onto their children. And there is nothing more irritating to try to work on a skill set and work really hard to focus on a task. And someone keeps stopping you midway to say, wait, go up, wait, you got to put that there. Let them just do it. I would argue there is one thing even more infuriating. What? When you ask, when your child asks for help with like a task, mm-hmm. like let's say, for example, I'm terrible at spelling. So even now, like when I worked in youth development, I work with sixth and seventh graders. I would spell something and they would correct me on my spelling. That is how bad at spelling I am. And even to this day, I will ask, like my aunt is famous for this. I'll ask her, uh, how do you spell so-and-so? She'll say, well, how do you think it's spelled? And see, I've learned over time to be a nice person <laughs> and not respond with, well, if I knew how to spell it, I wouldn't be asking you. Because apparently that's rude. It's not rude to, for her to say, well, how do you think? I, I wouldn't be asking you. So don't be like, or if you're helping math problems, they're like, I don't know this. And going two plus two equals what? Two plus two equals what? Come on, you know this. Don't do that either. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. I think that a lot of times, and I know we're winding down, a lot of times um, parents are really just looking for something, right? They want to know their child can do something. So I understand the parent perspective. I understand the therapist is sometimes trying to prove that she could get the kid to do something or the teacher. Um, But I honestly, I really, you know, if you take anything away from this episode, um, take away that what you don't want to do is try to um, make your child be and do things that aren't their sort of natural way of doing things um, or their interest. But what you should do or what I what I would like for you to do is allow them time to process and allow them to to just be who they are. And you actually get so much more from them. Like you get so much more when you just allow them to be who they are, whether that's throwing Legos up in the air or not being able to make a full circle. It's okay. They will make adjustments along the way. There's so much pressure on parents from the schools. It's just really sad. Um, and I know parents, you know, don't want to necessarily be that way all the time, um, but they just feel so much pressure. So I hope that all the listeners um, enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed it. And we, we're definitely going to have to do another one um, because I, this was fun. I had fun. That, definitely, definitely. And once again, thank you to our viewers in the 49 states, because pretty much everyone from Texas probably signed <laughs> off when I started making fun of the Cowboys. I'm not going to stop. But seriously, thank you for listening. Thank, thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing, for, for, for seeking out the information and wanting to get a second opinion and oftentimes going contrary to what the mainstream wants you to do. And with that, I want to say, please like and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps us in the in the algorithm. Tell your friends about it and pat yourselves on the back on the backs for being part of the avant-garde, for lack of a better word, being part of the few who are willing to go against the mainstream narratives and really help their kids, put their ego to the side and help their kids. We are very appreciative of that. And Stacy, that's why we're working too. 
the narrative on everything autism. And remember, the only way to shift it, listeners, is you got to get other folks to listen. Have a listening party over the holidays. Ooh, I'm going to post Ooh, that'd that. be a good idea. Yeah. See ya. Bye.